This evening's scripture is taken from Acts chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. Acts chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Good evening and welcome again to our Sunday night worship service. We're grateful for your presence. As always, we appreciate those who may be visiting. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every occasion that you have. We are thankful for each and every person that chooses to come back on a regular basis. And our prayer is that the church here would grow and abound in the work of the Lord. I do want to mention the luncheon and meeting that we had following our luncheon today. I appreciate Brother Dio and Brother Scotty chairing the meeting regarding our VBS, our upcoming Vacation Bible School. And we appreciate so much those who volunteered today to take part in the Vacation Bible School that is scheduled for the latter part of June. And I'm sure more details will be forthcoming. But uh, if you want to help in that endeavor, I would encourage you to see Scotty or Dio or one of the other elders. And I feel confident that they will hook you up and you can serve and help in this great work. Tonight we're going to be looking at the 14th chapter of the book of Acts, and I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're going to be thinking tonight about a labor of love. One of the things that impresses me about the book of Acts is the fact that you read about the activities, the actions of the early church. One of the things that all of us need to be impressed with is the fact that the early saints, the early church, was a group of people literally on the move. And so we're going to be thinking about that in just a few moments. But we're going to be looking at chapter 14 and we're going to be talking about the missionary efforts, in particular, of Paul and Barnabas. And you're going to see two individuals that literally laid it on the line to expand the borders of the kingdom. And as you and I think about what it means to be a Christian, I would encourage all of us to view our service in the Lord as a labor of love. The Hebrew writer said that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. If we love our work, then, well, if you love what you're doing, then somebody does not have to prod you along the way. And I really believe that these men and the early church in particular loved the Lord, they loved His church, they loved the work, and thus they did everything within their power to labor faithfully in His vineyard. As we look at chapter 14, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the declaration of the gospel. And here we're talking about the proclamation of the word of God. Now, as you and I think about the proclamation of the word of God or the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the things that stands out in chapter 14 is the great message that was proclaimed by these early saints. Look at verse 1, if you would. The text tells us it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. 
Iconium was approximately 80 miles southeast of Antioch of Pisidia. It was here that Paul and Barnabas labored for the cause of Christ. If you jump down to verse 7, you find that they made their way over to Lystra and Derbe. And verse 7 says that it was in these cities that they preached the gospel. And then a little bit later, down in verse 21, again we read of the missionary endeavors of these men. And the Bible says that they preached the gospel. One of the reoccurring themes of these early disciples was their willingness to preach and teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. When I think about the Apostle Paul, I think about a preaching machine, an individual that was willing to do everything within his power to let others know about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Go back and read the early efforts of the work of the church or those who labored in the church in the book of Acts. For example, in Acts chapter 8, we read of that great persecution that swept the early church. And the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. A couple of characteristics regarding the preaching of the word, specifically in reference to the labors of Paul and Barnabas. First of all, we think about the boldness of their preaching. Look at verse 3, if you would. Well, back up to verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned or embittered their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. In the first century, those who preached the word of God did so boldly. They proclaimed the divine message of the cross in the face of insult. They did so in spite of persecution because they recognized the great needs of mankind. Particularly the fact that men and women were lost and dying in sin and needed a savior. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, who shall judge the living and the dead before his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Paul here encouraged Timothy to proclaim the gospel in light of the, of the future coming of the Son of God. That is... He encouraged him to proclaim the cross of Christ in light of the fact that one day men and women will give an account of themselves before Almighty God at the judgment. And I think that when we talk about the boldness that needs to take place in our preaching and teaching today, one of the reasons we underscore this idea of boldness is because there may be some who do not want to hear the pure and simple teaching of the gospel, and yet they need to hear the saving truth of the cross of Christ because without it, they're lost and dying in sin. And so our preaching today, like theirs in the first century, needs to be with great boldness. It needs to be in view of the judgment to come. Over in Acts chapter 17, when the apostle Paul went to Athens, Athens was a great intellectual center of that day and time, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that that great intellectual center 
was filled with idolaters. And the Bible says in chapter 17, verse 16, that Paul's spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And Paul pointed out that there is but one God, and this one God is the one who framed the world. He is the one who gives to all men life and breath and all things. And then in verse 30, he said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why, Paul? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Paul was bold in his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. He was bold in his defense of the gospel. And so we think about the boldness of their preaching and the importance of us today preaching boldly. When I think about the great responsibility that rests upon those of us who preach today, I'm reminded of the fact that our duty is to comfort the afflicted and at the same time to afflict the comfortable. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. But nonetheless, we read of the boldness of their preaching and then the bounty of their preaching. Look again at verse 1 in chapter 14. It happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke they that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in sincerity and in purity, ultimately souls will be saved. You can read chapter 14 and the account here before us, and you'll see that any number of individuals responded positively to the cross of Christ. Today, we talk about the work of the church, and sometimes, as we've said in times past, there are people that are concerned and have expressed concerns about the lack of growth in the church. But what we have to understand is that the power is in the message. It's not in the messenger. The power in the first century was in the message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Isaiah said that God's word would not return unto him void. And so when we dispense with the pure and simple teaching of the cross, ultimately, when that message falls on honest and good hearts, it will bring forth fruit. So we think about the message preached and then the miracle performed. Now in verse 6, we read, After a violent attempt had been made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, Paul and Barnabas made their way to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. Verse 7 says, and they were preaching the gospel there. And it was in Lystra that a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand straight up on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now Jesus in setting forth the great commission in Mark 16 verse 15 and following said that the signs that accompanied the work of the apostles was, was to confirm the word. When you and I today talk about the miraculous and the need for the miraculous in the first century, we understand that in its context it was intended to confirm the divine word of God. It authenticated this message. It gave credibility to those who were messengers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas here 
were said to have healed a man. Now in verse 18 and following down, or rather verse 11 down through verse 18, we read of where the people sought to deify Paul and Barnabas, and they would have none of that. But nonetheless, that was the intent of the people residing in this location. So we think about, first of all, the declaration of the gospel. But now the second thing I want you to see in our lesson text is their determination in the gospel. You want to talk about people that were determined in their efforts for the Lord Jesus Christ, then all you have to do is read about these two individuals. When you think about the word persistence, what comes to your mind? When I think about the labors of Paul and Barnabas and some of the other saints in the first century, I see individuals who were determined to spread the gospel of Christ come what may. As a matter of fact, the first thing that we find by way of looking to this text has to do with the violent persecutions. Note again verse 5 in chapter 14. In verse 5, while in Iconium, the Bible says, a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. If you and I were preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ, or if we were trying to spread the message of the cross, and somebody threatened us or sought to abuse and stone us, let me just ask this question. Would we shut our efforts down or would we continue on? These guys continued on in the face of threats and taunts and persecutions. As a matter of fact, just because certain individuals sought to shut them down in Iconium did not mean that they were not ready to move to another city and set up shop there and preach the gospel of Christ. And so we read of their efforts in Lystra and Derby. But then drop down, if you would now, to verse 19. In verse 19, the Bible says that Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. When Paul wrote to Timothy in his last inspired letter, in A.D. 68, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he brought up the persecutions that he faced. As a matter of fact, he spoke of the persecutions and afflictions that he faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul was persecuted immensely. But we think about their violent persecutions, but I want you to see in this text the efforts of the valiant preacher. Look again at verse 19. Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. What did you say? Luke said, by way of his narrative of this account, that they had stoned Paul, 
They dragged him out of the city, and what did he do but return right back into that city? Some years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a friend of mine who is a CPA. He's not a practicing CPA today, but when he first got out of college, he had a degree in accounting and got a job with a big eight accounting firm. And so one of his jobs, one of his responsibilities was to travel around and audit companies. And if you knew this particular individual, you would know that this guy is unrelenting. You talk about persistent and determined. If there was information to be had, if there was information that needed to be forthcoming, he would stay on those people like a bulldog. As a matter of fact, that's what they called him. They said he was a bulldog. He was that determined. He was that persistent. Well, that's what comes to mind when I think about the Apostle Paul. Here was a guy that was absolutely determined to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Here was a guy that was stoned. He had been run out of town. And yet instead of saying, look, I've had enough. It's obvious those people there do not want to hear the gospel. They're not interested in divine truth. I'll just move on to another city. No, the Bible says he went right back into that city. Now you want to talk about courage? Let me tell you why the church today is filled with indifference and apathy in some areas. Because we lack the conviction and the fortitude of people like Paul. When we ultimately develop what they had, then we will become what they were. And that is zealous, faithful, unyielding, determined servants of the Most High God. Over in Acts chapter 17, when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica. There they spent three Sabbaths preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there, there again we find an uproar took place in the city. They were run out of town. But in verse 6, the Bible says, they charged Paul and Silas with these words. These men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. What Paul and Silas and those other first century saints were doing, people knew about it. You want to talk about people that were publicized in the sense that others knew about their activities, their actions. As Paul said on one occasion, the events that had taken place were not done in the corner. I mean, here were guys that were literally laying it on the line for the cause of Christ. And yet sometimes we will allow any and everything to halt our efforts for the cause of Christ. I think about people today that will allow the weather to impact whether or not they worship God or they serve God. And here was a fellow that was stoned and yet went right back into that same city to labor. Says a lot about him. What about you? What about me? But then in verse 20, 
The text says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And so we think about the determination of these guys. Two things come to mind in reading this text. First, I think about the grit of Paul. There's no other way to say it. Paul was tough. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I heard somebody say on one occasion, If you're not suffering persecution, maybe it's because you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? These guys were suffering for the cause of Christ. Paul was a gritty preacher. But I think not only of the grit of Paul, but also of the grace of Paul. And typically we define grace as unmerited favor. Someone doing for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. When I talk about the grace of Paul, here's what comes to my mind. Paul had something. And the people in Iconium and Lystra, Antioch, they needed it. What was it they needed? They needed to hear about Jesus Christ. They needed to hear that there is a Savior. That there is one who died for the sins of the world. You see, Paul had something. What he had was salvation. And what he intended to do was to share that gospel message with as many people as humanly possible. Paul did not have a, he didn't have an automobile. He did not have at his disposal a jet. He did not have the internet. He didn't have a cell phone, a telephone. He didn't have a fax machine. He did not have any of the conveniences that you and I have today by way of communication. He had two feet. He could travel by ship or he could travel, travel by animal. And yet this man was responsible for no telling how many people hearing, believing, and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look again at what is said. In verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now let's just shift gears and think very quickly about their dedication in the gospel. You see, there was determination, persistence on their part, but there was also intense dedication. These men persevered. They persevered so that they might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, two notable facts stand out. Number one, we read of their evangelistic works. The Bible says that they preached the gospel to that city, that is Derby. They made many disciples and they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. 
wherever these guys went, what were they doing? They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think for just a moment about the number of people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Let's just suppose that you and I interact with a number of people each and every day. Seven days in a week, 24 hours in a day. How many people that you come in contact with on a daily basis do you take just a moment of your time and share the gospel with? When Paul went to Derby, what did he do? He preached the gospel. When he went to Iconium, what did he do? He preached the gospel. When he went to Lystra, what did he do? He preached the gospel. These guys were evangelistic in their works. Now, I know that it might sound like just a recording or a tired refrain, but the fact of the matter is, if the church of Jesus Christ is going to grow in the 21st century, the only way that it's going to grow is for people like you and me to take to heart the Great Commission and sit down and teach and preach to those who are lost and dying in sin. That's the only way I know. If you and I want to see this building filled, then what we have to do is take time out each and every day and spend just a few minutes and talk to somebody about the gospel of Christ. Now let's back up for a moment. Of the people that you and I come in contact with on a regular basis, on a daily basis, how many of those people are members of the church? I suspect that we're probably interacting with more non-Christians than Christians. The point is simply this. The fields are white under harvest. You want to see this building filled? Then let me tell you what we've got to do. We've got to get busy and share the gospel. That's the only way it can be done. Now I know that there are congregations that have grown because they've swelled. And we're thankful for people that want to come and join hands and work and worship with us because people need a place to worship and work. When we talk about true growth, we're talking about people hearing the gospel, believing it, and obeying it. So first of all, their evangelistic works, but then secondly, their encouraging words. Look at verse 22. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. Again, these guys are on the move, and every time they're on the move, what are they doing? They're preaching and teaching the gospel. They, they are evangelistic in their work, and they are encouraging in their words. One of the things that I've learned, I think back to when I first decided I wanted to preach. And I guess everybody that begins, begins preaching, for the most part, is zealous. And they want to see, they want to see immediate results. One of the things I guess that I've come to learn over the years is that you have to learn patience. 
You have to be long-suffering with people. And I like what Luke says here concerning the efforts of Paul and Barnabas. That they exhorted these brethren to continue in the faith. He went on to say that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. There's a correlation between our service in the kingdom of God and tribulations and persecutions. They're going to come. But we have to encourage people to stand fast, to be faithful, to serve the Lord, to be dedicated to His cause. I use the old expression from time to time, Rome wasn't built in a day. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he told him to preach the word, he said, with all long-suffering and teaching. What I have to understand is, is simply this. Not everyone is on the same plane, spiritually speaking. I understand there are people that are weak in the faith. There's a vast difference between someone who is weak in the faith and someone who simply just does not care. Give me somebody who is weak in the faith who is immature, who has a desire to grow and to mature, I can work with that person. I can help bring them along. I understand that I have to have patience in dealing with people like that because they are immature maybe. But nonetheless, we have to be patient and long-suffering in our preaching and teaching and in our endeavors. So I think there's a message there for all of us. When we, when we look around in the church today, we have to realize that not everyone is where we are spiritually speaking. And so we encourage, we exhort, but we also do so with a spirit of patience. We're long-suffering with one another. In closing, let me ask this question. Your efforts for the cause of Christ, are they done because it is a labor of love? What you do for the church, what you do for Jesus Christ, is it truly a labor of love? It might be that what we have to do is go back and begin saturating our minds with the gospel. And it might be the case that one of the things that we have to do is go back and read again the story of the cross and fall in love once again with what the Lord has done for us. When John wrote in the latter part of the first century, he said, we love him because he first loved us. I'm convinced that the greatest catalyst to service in the church of our Lord today is love. You see, if people love the Lord, they'll love His service. If they love the Lord, they will love being involved in the work of the church. And so tonight we ask you, is your service a labor of love? For these guys, it was a labor of love. They laid it on the line because they loved the Lord and they loved the lost. My prayer for us is that we would love the Lord, that we would love the lost, that we would love the church here. Let me just close by saying, by saying this. Christianity should be a labor of love. And that love should include the local congregation. What can you do to help 
this congregation grow today? Number one, pray for this congregation. Pray daily. Pray regularly for this church. Pray that this congregation will be committed to the truth of God. Pray that this congregation will be united in her efforts. Secondly, pray for her leaders. Pray for the elders of this church and pray for their wives because they need our prayers. They bear a heavy responsibility, a heavy burden. When I think about the fact that these men will give an account to Jehovah God for this congregation, to me that's frightening. They bear an awesome responsibility and we need to pray for them. Pray for Scotty who is our deacon. Pray that God will continue to bless him and his family as he works with VBS, our educational program, and other endeavors. I encourage you to pray for me and my family because we need your prayers. And then finally, let me suggest that each and every one of us roll up our sleeves and get busy in the kingdom of God. I said last Sunday night that this is the core group. Right now, this is the core group. If this congregation is, go, is going to go forward, it's going to be because you and I take seriously this work. We're going to be encouraging those who are weak, those who are struggling. We're going to encourage them. We're going to do everything within our power to get them here on Sunday night and Wednesday night. But we need your help doing that. Call somebody who's not here. Tell them, we want you to be here Wednesday night. We want you to be here Sunday night. Just a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. These are things that we can do to help broaden the borders of the kingdom in this community. And then isolate one person, one person, and say, over the course of the next few weeks, over the course of this next year, I'm going to do everything within my power to lead one person to Jesus Christ. If each and every one of us will only reach out to one person, we'll double our number in a year. Now you tell me, how hard is that? One person. Surely we know one person. Surely we can reach one person. That's all we're asking for. Bring one. We'll teach them, or you teach them, and we'll see this congregation go forward. If you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian, my encouragement to you, come to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. Jesus said that we must be willing to confess him before others, Matthew 10, 32. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Jesus said, Be thou faithful until death, and I will give unto thee a crown of life. Revelation 2, 10. Once you obey the gospel, be faithful. If you're here tonight, you've obeyed the gospel, but you're not faithful. We want to encourage you to start anew this very hour. Why not... Why not 
come forward tonight. Let us pray with you and for you. I know one thing, God will abundantly pardon every sin, and God can use you in His kingdom. But you have to make the first step. Would you come as we stand and sing?